Hey, everybody, it's John. And thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks away so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right, hey y'all, it's five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. Hey, what's up? I'm John Hall. Justin Kennedy is on mute. Uh, Cass is not here. Um, but, you know, we're, we're going to have a good show anyway. But there's potential of a Cass buy, right? Th- th- yes. It all depends on how his trades outside of various police stations go uh, after he sets stuff up on Nextdoor and all of the <laughs> other apps that he uses for uh, secret beer trading. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, it's, um, You've already distracted me. So it's it's Wednesday. We almost never do this on Wednesdays. I've just come off that video I make for the brewery where I just had our anniversary beer, which is a double boat with Nelson, which was even better than I'd hoped. So I'm kind of giddy and even a little buzzy. So oh, I may good. be I may be really warm for today's interview <sighs> with Aaron Gore. Aaron Gore, do you want to introduce yourself? A Bivana? Say hello, and then we can start our drinking beer and bullshitting podcast. Is it called Bivana? Bevana Partners, but uh, thank you for that intro, Augie. I'm glad I was able to help myself there. Uh, (laughs) I'm also glad I was able to bring out the whole team. Nothing like feeling the weight on my shoulders to carry uh, two regulars uh, (laughs) and pick up their slack. But I feel like if anybody's up to the challenge, my loud mouth is probably going to be able to handle it. You got you with a healthy ego coming on this show. That's very oh, it has not been healthy since I was 13, uh, but it's definitely an ego. Well, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Aaron Gore. I am the Senior Director of Business Development for Bavana Partners, working with breweries all across the world, helping them reach new markets, reach new customers, and hopefully uh, <laughs> holding a place open for independent craft beer across the U.S. All right, so let's go to beer one. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so as John told you, poor beer, it should be marked three. Uh, foil into a glass and start drinking it. So you're not surprised when I ask you how it tastes. Um, anyway, so you know what? I, I wish I could figure out. And the problem with the days we live in and where we are is um, there used to be a thing on, on Facebook where you could be like, see your friendship. And I was hoping to check that because I, I, I feel like as long as I've been in the beer business, you and I have been Facebook friends. We've uh, been in communication. I've been aware of you. And I know Bavana which I say is it's great. So at some point, somebody told me, don't make fun of people that mispronounce words. They learned it from reading. But <laughs> me saying Bivana is that, right? It's just a word I've seen written a million times that I don't think we've ever spoken about. So I just said it wrong, but that's the indicator. But like I said- So you were doing it like beef, like short for beaver instead of short for or like beer-vana? beer yeah. on it instead of bed oh, oh no that, that's exactly what we do we sell beavers online i don't know how you guys had me on this <laughs> podcast and how that came about but i'm, I'm I mean, happy it for works the invite so, regardless 
it worked so well for John wow. Jacob Astor in the newspaper yeah. days. So how could it go wrong for you? I mean, uh, but anyway, so around the cooler, we do call Augie uh, Winona. So no, nope. Primus well, fans. Well, the, 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 all right, Winona's <laughs> mother beaver. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah, I'm not biting. I'm not. You're not biting on that bait. one. I'm All not right. falling for that bait. Um, for that log in the river, no. Right. Anyway, but so so, and as a matter of fact, when John and I were kicking around uh, Kentucky, where were we, John? Where did we just go and bump into Aaron? <laughs> the fuck knows. It was did somewhere. We? It was it was in the south. I bumped into Aaron I, last. The time we only were time that I've met Aaron in person is in Florida, and I'm oh. fairly sure that you weren't there with me for that. Yeah. Augie, okay, that was so, uh, you physically walking into me on our way out of brunch uh, in uh, Nashville for Nashville. CBC. Yeah, CBC. Yeah. So, Sean, you were in Nashville with me, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, but not okay. at your, you know. John, so whatever you really I was Augie's days long brunch. Yeah. But what we were I, all what hungover. I loved, what I loved about it is I Augie never got hungover. In. Yeah, I never get to get hungover if you stay drunk. If you stay no, drunk, you don't have to say, worry about you're back at work um anyway so so i guess what i was saying was i bumped into you and knew exactly like i bumped in, i was like hey aaron and you're like hi and i think that was the first time we actually set eyes on each other and i guess what i'm talking about is as as one you develop and grow a brand clearly this ability of yours is an asset but two as you try to help others develop and grow brands in various ways in these very trying times of what is even left of craft beer your skill set, even amongst a world of, you know, John and I have a podcast, like we all put ourselves out there and get to know people, but your skill set of making sure you're known to everybody. That's why I wanted to find the Facebook thing. I was like, how long have I known Aaron? And is it something that just kind of happened or was it through groups and stuff? And I wanted to start off with you as a kind of exploration of, of your ability to put yourself out there as well as you have and how that turned into and what that benefits Bavana as, because it truly is impressive. And I'm talking as a guy who's seldom impressed by notoriety. You know what I mean? So what do you, what do you think you've done that worked to get you known in at least our circle of craft well? And what would you do differently? Oh, man. Uh, talk about the most qualified level of fame imaginable. Uh, <laughs> uh, by and large, I am a fairly talentless hack, but I've said for years, if I've got one skill, it's been networking. And honestly, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It makes me fortunate enough to work with a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me. And, you know, that's clearly to my benefit. I try to hire people who are smarter than me, work with people who are smarter than me, and hopefully know people that are smarter than me, which is thankfully a fairly low bar to hit. Uh, but honestly, the whole thing really got started in the funniest way. I, I got started in this industry in the Northeast. That's actually how I met you, Augie. It had been years and years and years, but I bounced around that Northeast scene for a while. Uh, and at the time, I was just a rep running routes. So I, I have no doubt that you had no idea who I was by any stretch, but I've also... Uh, always been precocious. So I okay. was a professional wrestler for years uh, coming out of high school and through my 20s. And similar to beer, that's one of those industries where a lot of the people that you admire are extremely accessible. You know, when you're yep. pretending to get your ass kicked in your underwear in a VFW, it's <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty hard to really stand on ceremony when it comes to meeting somebody, even like The Rock or, you know, uh, Heath Slater or A.R. Fox or any of the people who I really admired within the industry. So coming over the beer, it was really uh, just about the same thing. I 
I realized that a lot of the folks who I really admired, yourself included, John, you included, are also people that if you just treat them like a human being, shake their hand, talk to them normally, and most importantly, like you know, friend request them on social media, it's amazing how easy it is to connect with people who, if you have nothing else in common, at the very least, you have beer. Did, so did I just give you permission to shake my hand? I I I don't oh, recall. Oh, yeah, I forgot to that. do the ceremony. You know, uh, <laughs> spin three times, get down on my knees, and you know, present a sacrifice. But you know, uh, but see, I just I just pull one side of the bow tie, and as he lunges for it, I grab the hand mid process, and then that's how he I didn't get have my... the bow tie. He didn't <laughs> have the bow tie my... last uh, time, so that it wasn't an authentic hall. It wasn't a real. It wasn't a real. You got meeting. a fraudulent. Yeah. If you bring that into what's that fucking show in where, the Nevada pawn shop show, where if they called in the expert. You oh yeah, they're gonna like, yeah. This is yeah. This like, is the uh, yeah. Let, let, I don't I don't know, but let me call in Justin Kennedy. He's my expert on John Hall stuff. <laughs> Justin Kennedy would be like, "Was John in a bow tie?" And they'd be like, "No." I'd be like, "Well, that it, it wasn't." Uh, sorry, Fake. I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't authenticate this handshake. Um, but the other thing you do is so. How much of your day do you spend reading stuff about beer? Like you are. You're one of the yeah. You post a lot. You put, po- but you post, and it's not. It, you don't post everything. You post shit that everybody's always talking about. But you know what I mean. Like when I, it's it's our friend Alworth, Alworth, however you say it, Alworth. Um, you know stuff like that. Like you're just quick to get that shit quantified and sent out. We're nailing how, pronunciations. How much today. time do you spend like staring at your at your phone? Like it's amazing to me how quick you are to get shit shared. Well, honestly, I'm, I'm glad you asked the right question, because the other question I usually get asked is how much time do I spend on social media? And that part's actually <laughs> not nearly as much as people think, because um, if you notice, I don't I don't even really contribute a whole lot on there. Uh, I think not at Brian... all. You just share fucking content. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, Brian Roth over at Good Beer Hunting, he's a friend. He also lives in the Carolinas. Like he once described me as like, you're like a carnival barker. You're just standing up there just <laughs> telling what's happening. And then you just let the crowd do their thing. And um, it honestly, just to go back a little bit, it all started because, you know, I was coming home and telling my wife about all the stuff that was happening in the industry and just doing the typical download stuff with her and ranting and raving about everything I'd read or see or hear. And one day she just stopped me and she said, you, I love you, but you know, I don't care. Just put it on the internet. Just leave me the hell alone. And so I started doing exactly that. And before I knew it, it just started building up ahead of steam. And then I started becoming a little more intentional about it. But to answer the question, I read a lot. You know, this is not just an industry for me. It's something that I'm extremely passionate about. I'm very fortunate that it's a uh, an interest that over more than a decade of doing this, it has held just as passionately. So I spend a pretty appreciable portion of my day and every minute that I'm pooping, basically reading about, learning, and <laughs> trying to go deeper, not just into beer, but in beverage in general, and, and a little less so in food. But uh, if I see something I think people will value, if I see something I think people could gain something from learning, knowing, or understanding, then I just try to try to put it out there because it costs me nothing. And you know, if I'm already going to be reading it, then I might as well aggregate it. Now, of all the stuff you've recently shared, and Thieves, we're recording this the day after the news of the Canadian joint company buying all the failing AB brands happened. 
So that's the that's the news of the moment. And we're actually going to record an episode about that later. So I'm not trying to steal right. that that conversation, Aaron. But what I'm saying is of all the stuff you've posted, like, let's just slice out the last four weeks, because as we've already indicated, that's a copious amount of stuff. But so what what what's the thing you threw up that got like the most interesting conversation started? Uh, you know, of all the random here's a thing, things you share. What's the one where you're like, huh, I didn't think that would get, you know, that much discussion. Was there anything where you're like, cool, or is it just, does it follow a path you imagine it follows? A lot of it winds up following a pretty predictable path at this point. Um, And there's some, obviously, big news like the Tilray acquisition. That's absolutely massive. And of course, that gets people excited, energized about it. But truthfully, the ones that I find the most befuddling is anytime I post about wine, especially anything about issues within the wine industry or things that make the wine industry not necessarily uh, sit on this pedestal. And it's it's made me really realize that beer people especially have a really weird relationship with the wine world in the sense that a lot of them both hate it and also admire the living hell out of it. So a lot of the comments I get are almost hyper defensive and worshiping wine while at the same time not trying to knock it down from a perceived pretentiousness. And you know, I, I'm never more surprised than by just how much of a complex beer people have in relation to wine culture, in relation to the wine industry. Uh, and it's it's always kind of a weird one to watch play out. You, you should hear John's reaction when I mention a tasting note of wine. It's, it, it, it's exactly what you're describing. Um, but it's a show thing for eight years. So <laughs> we, we can't ignore it at this point. Um, Interesting. Now tell me as before we go into glass one, because I want to get on to Bavana, um, what it is and what I think it is and what I'm wrong about. But um, but as we tie this up, if so, you know, everybody's so this this summer in my section of New Jersey, the Zima Gold of the summer is some what I would call a Jack Daly. It's basically a vodka with iced tea and lemonade in it, RTD. Um, and it's called, you know, South Side or Surf Side or Spot Side or whatever. But it's, you know, everybody's, it's the thing everybody's excited about this summer. And every time we talk about, you know, what's going on and, you know, what are the long-term impacts of the new normal on craft beverage and so on, People default to, well, you got to worry about, but you'll remember it was White Claw two years ago. It was not your daddy's root beer two years before that. It was, you know, there's always something in that RTD category going all the way back to the first Zima that is going to destroy craft. I'm wondering, as you've grown from the rep we met a decade ago to, you know, where you are now, how much of your sharing has been, you know, how much of it was craft beer then and then big beverage stuff and now how much of it is RTD slash seltzer slash wine slash whatever? Are you mixing the way we're seeing the the modern drinker palette mixing? Is there any line to draw there? Yeah, one of the things that I, I try to avoid doing is oversharing on stuff that I think is getting over. Um, coverage disproportionate to its impact. Um, it's one of the reasons why Seltzer is extremely well covered, but the story there hasn't changed a whole lot outside of its declines in the last year. So even though there's a million stories about Seltzer that you know are covering it from every possible angle, all of them are really just retelling the exact same information. 
same with RTDs. Uh, one thing I will say is I'm not a big spirits drinker at all uh, to the point I have maybe a cup of uh, like a glass of whiskey a month. And that's about okay. the extent of my spirits drinking. So I, I don't dive in as much on that, mostly because you know a lot of the things I post are things that I'm reading anyways. So it tracks my own interests to a degree. It's one of the reasons why cheese coverage has gone up and why I've been making posts about mustard because I'm on a craft mustard kick because I'm that kind of nerd. <laughs> Uh, well, let's no, let's completely wait, wait. Let's completely digress. I am being annoyed by mustard right now. I, How did I, mustard annoy you? Did you pronounce its name wrong too? No, no, no. I pronounce everything wrong. It's kind Sick of my burn. Thing. Um, but what I'm saying is, I'm looking for like a zippier mustard. Like either my palate shifted as I've gotten older, but like remember when you'd find a good Dijon in the in the aughts. And it would be like, ooh, that's hot. That's that's like, you know, that's like a Chinese mustard packet from a restaurant. Yeah. Ooh. It's gone now. Everything I find these days is like, oh, it's barely yellow. And I feel like there's a dumbing doubt in mustard <laughs> culture of everything that used to be spicy. So I'm wondering if you have any insight on that, because that matters. That's one of the things that's really bothering me right now is I can't find a properly piquant mustard. <laughs> I'd say you can you can tie it almost into like the phenomenon that the Bob Sylvester's of the world love you, Bob, uh, would <laughs> argue for craft beer. You know, as some of these styles have become more mainstream and in mustard, that means as people have started to discover there's more to it than just yellow mustard and Dijon mustard. It's also meant taking some of those styles of mustard in this case or beer in the case of our industry and uh, making them a little more accessible. Now, if you're looking for something that's got some real spice to it, it's fantastic. Uh, you can go online and order Edmund Fallot. Um, They're out of uh, Burgundy. Holy shit good. That is one of my favorite yeah. mustard companies on earth. Um, and they're definitely look that stellar up. to cook with. I will definitely look that up. I'm a, I'm a big, one of the many old man things in my repertoire. I'm a big fan of the liverwurst and onion on rye with spicy mustard and all oh, of the man. mustards I'm finding available are oh, not yeah. spicy enough for my current level of liverwurst. Anyway, you know where we should what go? brings us to go on? We should go to McSorley's. Fair enough. Get There's the liverwurst and onion plate. Are we are because of who we are? Are we allowed to bring our own beer? <laughs> no, you still get the. Well, that's, no, that's when you bring the flask. <laughs> <laughs> the no questions asked flask. The no questions asked us. All right. What brings us together on Sealess Beer is a candid conversation of beer, what it is doing, not what we were told it would do, how we like it, not how we were told we would like it, and where we would drink it, not where we got it. Wow. To facilitate that, we drink blind out of black glasses. Um, Aaron has his blind as well, but you only have beer one of two, right? Which is marked three. Yes, I just got the one blind, um, number three. That's right. So let's really focus on this tasting. Um, and to facilitate that, John and I drink blind out of opaque glasses. I am drinking out of the classic Steal This Beer Riedel black wine glass. And oh, I'm drinking... on the Spiegel now. Black glass. Ooh. Yeah, look at that. We, I think we've had four different types of, and the let's not forget the roadie black stemless tumbler plastic. That's the plastic that. ones. I like. That's I that. actually, I like them. I think that they they, do. they do a good job. John, you don't want distance between you and your beer in any way, including on a stem <laughs> of a glass. Um, John, this this beer is befuddling me. Oh yeah, yeah. What is the nature of your befuddlement? It keeps being like, oh, it's a Pilsner. That's yep. a Pilsner. There's a Pilsner Pilsner. But about every third sip, I'm like, maybe it's Newberg Brown. 
<laughs> the sweetness, right? Yeah. There's yeah. like weird malt sweetness. Uh-huh. But like like a really properly made. Like I said, like every third or fourth sip, I'm like, maybe it's Newberg Brown. But every time I regroup, go back with my best clear mind, having just been drinking a, you know, double IPA uh, prior to the show. Um, it's uh, it's sweet, right? Sweet for they're, a pilsner, but it's, but it's clearly a pilsner, right? And that's where, yes, it, 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 it yes. But there is that level of sweetness like that comes through, like, and well, it had, yeah. And it wouldn't it, surprise me if it was possibly like decocted, like a uh, check pills or something along those lines. Because I, I pick well, up. We exactly know it's like not check because I'm not getting any diacetyl. That is true, and I, I am getting just a touch of DMS. There's no question it's pilsner malt through and through. Um, I'm not getting any of that that roast or um, not roast, but like any of those more chocolatey notes. Or yeah, but it's notes not even on the nose. Yeah. But I am getting a little. But it's on the sweet. Palate. But it's sweet. Like it's it's definitely. I can't think. I guess my problem is I can't think of a pilsner that I've ever had that registers as sweet to me. But everything else about it, even well decocted, right? Like when I think, oh, properly decocted. Um. Pilsner, I think a slow pour. And that sure. is dry AF. And yeah, this doesn't have that dryness to it. Right. Uh, but it does have that kind of I, I mean, I guess if you like if you cooked the fuck out of it in the boil kettle while decocting, I guess you could Yeah, I don't I'm not getting like caramelization off of it, but I mean the hops are super floral. I mean it's definitely yeah. it smells noble. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's it's definitely a good beer. It's just the sweetness is throwing me off. And the sweetness is like ale sweet. You know what I mean? And and that's why I'm confused by it. But other than that, yeah, it's just it's a good drinking food. The DMS is is a good point and a little a little stewy, a little 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 whatever, but not the the hops are covering it enough that it's not bothering me. Oh, yeah. it doesn't take away our, from it. It just uh, feels old world. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, this uh, is. Hall, this... I kind of ran over you. What do you think of it? No, this is. I, 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 I'm going to agree with you on the sweetness, but this is, this is an uh, like a beer garden beer for me. This is one yes. of those ones. Oh yeah, yes. this was in a giant tankard. I'd be like, oh, oh this yeah. is as good as life gets. But, but you need it on a day like, to, like some people say, oh, lawnmower beer, things like that. I want a little bit of a cool breeze in the air, but still warm sunshine. Like this is one of those because of that sweetness uh, that you were talking about. Like that's where um, like I don't want this as a refresher afterwards because it doesn't have that dryness at the end that I that I typically look for. Um, right. This is that relaxation beer sitting in the sunshine, but a nice like coolish breeze like mid-September. You know Kind of you know it's amazing. What I love about what you what you just said is it puts me in the mood for at least the the headspace to consider the it's probably the perfect pilsner to land on after a bunch of drinking because oh. too dry, it's not, you know what I mean? It's not necessarily gonna work, but this is probably right in that right groove for you know what I mean. Say you and I met at the tiger, Aaron was in town, and we tried, you know four or five right hey, we've look. just gotten we've just gotten thrown yeah. out of mcsorley's because yeah. uh, you well, were mean to everybody 
and well, because I, mean, I was opening exactly. boats under the table and pouring them into a brown glass. You, uh, you know exactly <laughs> what this would be delicious with. It'd be liverwurst on. and onions on rye yeah. mustard. So, I mean. okay. Well, not till I get your mustard, Aaron. I'm I'm pissed about my full. I must have. I swear to God, I'm not exaggerating for the show. I think I have nine <laughs> different mustards in the fridge right now all of which were bought hoping it would satisfy my mustard need and didn't. So it just moved into this back corner of the, you know, with I'm some, surprised that you know, you're just not some half know. container of kimchi. I'll send you a link, buddy. I, I, I got I'm, you. I'm in. Don't you worry. I'm a, this is, that may be the best thing that came out of the show. All right. So let's move on. You're not uh, doing John... bumps of Coleman. I'm surprised about that. <laughs> well, you know, you know, <laughs> since, since, since none of my cars actually use a key anymore. Right. I had to give up bumps, um, yeah. even if it is Coleman. Um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, All um, right. John Kennedy's on mute. So, Hang on. So, but wait, oh, we got to reveal it. Shit, yeah. I didn't even care. All right. I was like, so oh, this whatever. is this is. I left it on a Schenker Beer Company. Schenker. S C H E N K E R Schenker. Uh, okay. Pilsner Pilsner German style beer from. Schenker Beer Company. I maybe it's a German. Oh yeah, look at that. It is a, a yeah from a German brewery and imported, brewed, and packaged by oh 12 percent. So it's not a German. So there's your DMS. All right, so it's a yeah, step mash too, which uh, you know they it's got a, a step mash and still coming in with a little sweetness. Yeah. so know. it's a con it's a contract brand out of twelve percent in. Uh, so wait, it's not actually German. It's a beer they brew at twelve percent, and identify yes, as that they're German trying to make everywhere. it look like it is an import, but it is not an import, as best I can tell. Do I oh, need Justin, to? Go oh, Justin's this? texting me. This is Joey Pepper's beer. Oh, from twelve percent. Well, we know Joey. Yeah, wasn't he just on the show? I guess I was going to say. Probably, I was going to say. He probably I've told us the, the name of the Schenker thing. Before. Like, it's is just, it his yeah. family name Schenker? Maybe. Like, didn't we learn that on the show? All right, Joey. Nice job, man. I'm I'm gonna drink I your beer at the Tiger after ten other beers, and I'm gonna be happy about it. I thoroughly um, love that we're just not paying attention enough to your shows that Justin is building a theme, and yeah, we're just Aaron. Like, I want you. I want you to know what you just experienced, and when we see you again, and be like, "Haven't we talked?" That's how this goes. Um. All right. So, John, <laughs> pour beer four. All right. Um, which seems really <laughs> sweet behind behind Joey's beer. <laughs> so. Woo. So so not bad at all. Um. All right. So Aaron, let's here. talk about Bavana because I will try to give some context to this. I'm sure you're going to be diplomatic and the Beaver Company. You're, you tell us about your pelt stack. Um, but I'm sure you're going to be diplomatic on top of it. But let me tell you. So I have I've now whittled myself down to one distributor, and the joke I make with them is that you know all distributors suck they're all fucking horrible but they're my favorites and that's not a joke it's just something i say like i think all distributors are terrible and which is why i think what i think bavana does is kind of try to manage and handle relationships for guys like me with distributors because we're just terrible at it but I guess what I would ask you for the context of the beginning of the succession, because I'm going to bring things up like franchise law, state to state, and so on and so forth. But just at the top, um, do so when I when I 
opened carton, I was at 13th Brewery in New Jersey. And when I did my TED talk, we talked about there's almost 2,000 breweries in America. And right now, in the midst of everything, there's 150 breweries in New Jersey and 9,000 breweries in America. When did Bovana enter this discussion? And do you have criteria where like, look, you're just too small to be thinking about distributors or you're just too big to be thinking about these distributors? Like how much of this relationship liaising do you do beyond facilitating I know distributors? You know what I mean? How much are you like, <laughs> get, stop fucking thinking about distributors, dude. COVID fucked you. You should still only be selling in your tasting room. Stop trying to get store shelves. You don't buy your beer back. You suck. Like, how much of that are you doing for all the rest of us that want a good, healthy beer ecosystem? Wait, could what, it, would be, it make more sense for me to describe a little of what we do first? Yes, thank I you. Mean, That's what I was to going to ask. Because I said, all the, all hey, jumping to like chapter in seven. My, in my own defense, I said at the beginning, I'm going to base this a lot on what I think Bavana does. <laughs> I no, said no, that no, no. at the top of the show. Yeah. Give <laughs> us the elevator pitch of what Bavana yeah, yeah. is, and then try to unpack Augie's question while he adds new ones. Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of knew what I was walking into here. <laughs> uh, no, to, to, to go ahead and uh, make it as succinct as possible, which is not my strong suit. Basically, what Bavana does, we grew out of a brewery, D9 Brewing Company in the Southeast. And uh, a combination of myself and Andrew Durstowitz, who is the CEO and founder of D9, basically started spinning on the same question, which is, this industry is going to mature. And at the time it was still something on the horizon. Now it's happening all around us. But the question was, how do we uh, basically aggregate all the things that we're able to aggregate, build those economies of scale in without chucking the baby out with the bathwater and getting rid of the things that small independent breweries do well, which is you know product innovation, creativity, community orientation, taproom experience, brand building, all the things that really create value for customers that made us fall in love with the industry. Uh, how do we hold those, how do we hold the door open for those in a way that actually acknowledges the fact that the economics of our industry are basically screwed up from the get? Uh, that was really where Bavana came from. And the idea was uh, we effectively manage everything outside of your four walls. And it doesn't have to be all the way to your four walls. Uh, you know, all of our partners have the ability to still declare areas that they just keep doing business the same as they always did. But effectively, we can manage everything. We manage scaling production. I've got 350,000 barrels of co-packing production uh, reserved across the U.S. So I'm basically decoupled from constraints on how much beer I can make. We fund all of it. It's the inverse of a service. We actually pay a revenue share back to our partners. That way they don't have to take on additional inventory risk and uh, cash outlay because that's a huge, okay. huge problem in this industry is the cash cycle. And we even manage not only the wholesalers, but we have boots on the ground in the market actually working those markets and helping sustain them, uh, help support them and help provide the kind of backup that brands need when they get further away from home, which is one of the areas that a lot of breweries go upside down trying to score. So that's basically what we do. But to answer your question, I say no a lot more than I say yes for exactly that reason. Yeah, you know, we're in a very different time than we were even three years ago. And as much as so many breweries needed to go into distribution just to be able to keep their heads afloat during COVID, there's way more ones out in the market right now than the market can reasonably support. That's not me saying there's too many breweries. It's saying there's too many breweries trying to play at grocery. 
Whereas you know, right. we have plenty of room for the neighborhood tap room who happens to make their own beer, the McSorley's of the world. Like we'll always mm -hmm. have tons of room for those. And my big stat I usually point to is there's 14,000 wineries for half the market share and 40% of that market share is imports. Like we can support more breweries. More of them just need to be satisfied with a much more modest uh, definition of what success is from a distribution standpoint. But if we could take the ones that are distribution ready and help them get there in a way that doesn't put them at the kind of massive amounts of risk that even somebody as large and successful as modern times ran into, that's the yeah. goal of what we do. So interesting. Um, I, I want to stay on these because, because so when we had, there's a very famous episode of Steal the Spear where we put, um, Sam Calagione and Jim Cook in a room together and they did a billion dollar deal a couple hours later. Um, I'm, I'm just that, giving you guys personal credit. No, 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 I appreciate it. But on, well, because we deserve it. We're the one who put the two in the room and it did happen an hour later. That's it's mo It's mostly um, Justin for organizing that show. Yeah, to be fair, that's 100% Justin, but Justin doesn't have a charge of VIG, so I still go at them every time I see either of them. Um, He's been I am sitting a, on those residuals ever since and not telling me. Yeah, that, that's why Justin never works. He's like, I'm still making that sweet, sweet, sweet merger money. Uh, but anyway, what I'm saying is the my last discussion to those two guys back whenever that was, 18, 17, 18, maybe 19, um, you know, to the two of them because of who they are, I was like, convince me I should relationship with distributors. Because both of you are big advocates of this three-tier system and where the distributors hold truck. And I think it's failing both of you as the distributors try to pick up. JC from Trillium was also on that episode. I was like, I feel like it's failing both of you as distributors try to pick up me and JC. And the places they pick off taps are Sam Adams and 60 because they cannibalize their own brands. And it doesn't hurt them at all. And they both assured me I should definitely trust the system. but no one gave me a good reason. And now coming out of COVID and all that, where there's just, you know, there's just breweries who never should have gone into a store sitting, rotting on store shelves because they're back to try to sell beer in their tasting room. And we don't have from distributors or small breweries, a healthy way to manage beers and shelves and all that. Like, like what, you clearly have relationships with distributors. You clearly have all that. Tell me where you see the value they offer somebody like me doing a 5,000 barrel a year thing. And again, that being said, I believe Serene, who I deal with, is the best at it. I just don't believe it's a, if you need to be hand sold, I don't think there's any distributor that's in a hand selling. And it sounds like you're picking up hand sold labels. So how do you find the end of that? Yeah. So, Effectively, I, I think you're you're right, and I think the biggest issue that we as an industry have had is that for the longest time, and it's partly on us and partly on the wholesalers, we've treated wholesalers as brand builders. We've treated them as a, a sales unit, and that's to be not fair. It's because when they sit in a room, oh, they they've tell definitely you that's told exactly us that. what they do. Hundred percent. They you spent I mean? a they decade telling us that's their competency. Yeah, they have yep. spent a decade telling us that's their competency, and we spent a decade believing it. But at the end of the day, they're very, very good at their real core competency, which is just getting product from point A to point B, warehousing it and holding accounts open. Like that they're good at. And I've found in, in my background, you know, prior to Bavana Partners, I was a sales and marketing consultant for the industry. Prior to that, I uh, was a sales director for companies. 
Uh, when you treat them like that and you make your peace with the fact that that's what they are good at and that's 99% of all they're good at, then you get a lot better results out of them. The issue is that that means that the brand building legwork, that the, the rest of that slack has to be taken up by the brewery. And that's where things go upside down because the number of breweries I consulted for that asked me to uh, restructure their sales organizations. And the only advice I could give them is you can't afford a sales organization. Uh, that was a very, very common thing I ran into. You know, the resources you have to put behind a brand to support it outside of, you know, your immediate 90 miles is extremely disproportionate to the amount of revenue and more importantly, the amount of GP it brings in. So that's one of the chief things that we're able to bring to the table is we are able to bring a lot of that support on behalf of our portfolio, because we have one rep who's representing five or six brands as opposed to a single brand. We're with right. multiple wholesalers in a given market rather than having everything strapped to one. We're able now, to fund things like POS materials and merchandise, and we're able to do things like shared floor stacks and end caps. And that's something that any single brand, even somebody like Boston Beer, Dogfish Head, they can't do that. Right. So, so, so. But then you have the problem of, and I, I keep in mind, I'm from New Jersey and reach as far as New York, Connecticut and have been in Boston, right? So part of, and I'm not going to try to digress, even though the thieves love it when we talk about how fucking corrupt New Jersey politics are. <laughs> but then you get into the problem of certain states have franchise law that say you can never break up with a distributor because they've put so much work into establishing your brand. And that's why they charge. Like when I was with Union in New York, my beer went from whatever I gave them plus 38%, which they call a 30% margin for all the work they were doing to establish my brand while telling me what I owed them were people working in the market on my dollar to establish my brand. But they have to defend this myth of we're brand builders because that's where that ridiculous and like it does not cost 38% to put beer on a truck and deliver it to wherever you got the orders, right? That mythical number and that mythical investment in brand building is a hundred percent only true if they do what you and I both know. And I think a lot of them are starting to realize they're terrible at, which is brand building. So have you found any way to renegotiate those kind of industry standard, go fuck yourself, the laws on my side premiums? <laughs> or do you really see that as the value, the cost of that value of of distributing beer? No, no. There, there's a, there's a few ways that we work within that. One of them is the biggest issue for wholesalers and why they've started to hike. And it's not just you guys. Uh, wholesalers all over the place have started to hike margin on small craft. And the issue is the amount of admin time that it takes to manage a brewery that you're selling, let's say. 20,000 cases a year through uh, is just as much as, you know, one that you're selling a million cases a year of. So it's completely disproportionate costs, uh, even on their end, when you're talking about spreading it around the revenue. So they're basically right. uh, charging you a premium on the fact that having that craft brand manager, having those people uh, managing your warehouse berth, having, uh, having to carry in inventory, your tap handles, what have you, that is all disproportionately expensive for them than it would be for, say, Corona. 
Um, that doesn't make it right, but it, that's where they're coming from. So one of the biggest things that we're able to do is, you know, not only do we run all of our own freight, which is a huge cost savings for everybody, because uh, that's a there's usually a multiple percentage uh, premium tacked on just for them having to manage and run the freight. Uh, so we talk tack off a couple of percentage points there. Uh, it also means that all the brands that we're carrying, let's say we have a wholesaler that has six of our brands, they're all coming in on a single truck. That means one dock time, that means one invoice, one PO, uh, one set of admins. So it makes that premium uh, that they're really charging you for being a small part of their portfolio go down. We okay. also have multiple wholesalers in every market because brand assignments are handed out on a brand level, not on a company level. For most companies, it's one and the same, but means I can carry two to five wholesalers in most markets. And that gives us a lot more flexibility and ability to negotiate. And even in a couple of circumstances, we've been able to negotiate trades on some of our brands between wholesalers, just to make sure they wound up with the wholesaler that felt most strongly about them. And we're gonna put the most resources behind them. So it's really about kind of flipping things back on its head and actually giving the supplier tier a level of negotiating power while generating enough value for the wholesalers to where, you know, they're willing to make that sacrifice because they're getting something out of it. And that's truthfully where most of our value winds up coming into everybody. We're, we're able to negotiate basically as a confederation of breweries rather than as right. uh, a whole bunch of independent entities all fighting for, for attention. Okay. Um, so I guess John and I need to discuss beer too, because you we don't do. have it, but we should be quick about it. But when I come I really back, I want to, guys. sorry, that's a Justin thing. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, but when we come back, the, the, the follow-up question, I want to do that before we move on to the third section is this is clearly what people like Canarchy and so on claim to be doing. But my question is, do you guys have any label that you have ownership in outside these deals? Meaning the reason I would, because everybody in New Jersey, except me, does their own distributorship. And all of them have like, we'd love to carry carton so you don't have to self-distribute. But I just don't see them ever putting my beer on before their own. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, oh, we've got this account and they've got, we can talk them into adding you. And it just, that seems to be a trade of no value to me. But so my question is, how do you differentiate kind of what you're describing that sounds so interesting and cool versus, you know, I'm sure Canarchy says they can do the same thing, but they don't really because it's really 19 different breweries trying to figure out how to share shit. So let's talk about that after we talk about beer too. John. Yo. Um... I feel like we have to know this beer, right? And it's it's another one of those, it's yeah. almost a direct copy of any of Ken's beers, except <laughs> with a packet of sugar in it, right? Um, I'm not going to be quite that mean to it. Uh, but, but this is I, clearly somebody's like, no, I can make beer just like Sierra Nevada, but I like it sweeter. I... This feels to me, I'm going to write the sentence first. This feels to me like beers that I would have um, on Amtrak. So like when we left Philly a couple of weeks back, right? And we were very lucky because we had human robot beers to drink. So that was delightful. But like we 20, fancy. But 20 years ago, when I was leaving right? you know, Boston, um, I would grab like a six pack from the bodega in Jamaica Plains down the street from the Sam Adams Brewery um grab something like this and then by the time i got to connecticut i'd be drinking three 
the three remaining warm kind of thing. <laughs> yep. um, there is a sweetness. It's got that old school C-hop um, IPA thing going on there. Uh, yeah. It's almost it, assuredly Cascade. But it, it, the thing that I like about it is. And crystal malt. Like it, it feels yeah. to me like it's straight out of fucking Ken's playbook. But it has one of these, the, hang on. I wanted to drink it again because, yeah, there it is, right? You get that really nice bitterness. You get that sweetness. The bitterness comes back, and then it just drops off. And it like tastes it like falls, soap. And it just falls <laughs> off a cliff altogether. So the only remedy uh, is to go back and to drink more as yeah. you know, the, re- the other five uh, sitting on the floor of the Amtrak car are getting warm. Right. Um, what a- I, I love it. It's a, it's a, it's a throwback. Yeah. It's not one that I would reach for regularly yeah i guess i guess what i'm saying is if i knew this beer really well and saw it next to 90 i'd probably still grab 90 but sure but that's a that's a but but i i I guess so yeah i think what you're saying is this beer feels to me exactly like what i was when i was truly paying attention to learning craft so let's say the early aughts yeah this would have been one of the first ones where you know, if you poured it for me, just like we're drinking it right now, I'd be like, that's an IPA. And, and I'd, it have been pr- I'd have been proud of knowing that. You know, like, I'd but, have been like, well, I've learned that much. When it tastes like that, that means IPA. But that's but, probably high praise, right? It's I th- definitive I think so. of style. And, and as long as era, that style right? is the aughts. End of time. And that's the big thing, right? So yeah. uh, shameless plug for Em and Don over on the All About Beer podcast. They're doing an episode. Wait, what's that? I, I've never heard of uh-huh. it. Uh, on IPAs it, through time. There's another beer podcast? Yeah, uh, with Stop M. Souter and Dom Tess. And oh. they have an upcoming they show should name on it IPAs something really time. original, like all And they're about talking beer. to Mike Karnowski from Zebulon Artisan Ales uh, down in the Carolinas, down in the Asheville area, uh, who has been recreating uh, like what an IPA would have tasted like in 1997 or 2002. So wait, or- he's, doing, he's, doing, he's doing a current century shut up about Warby Parker? Uh, <laughs> uh, he's also doing it with Ron Pattinson, who's also on that episode. He he's a protege uh, of Ron, and yeah, if yeah. you didn't get the uh, they did a whole pack that had him going back to the original IPA all the way through the modern day. That was one of the coolest things that I've gotten my hands on. Every, yeah. And now he's just seller. and now he's just doing slices of like three years in the last twenty one. Pretty much because that's, that's how much fun. it is. That's how much it's changed. But you're right. This so, would be. Kennedy, like, I know the reason mind, Aaron doesn't have this beer is because you couldn't yeah. get it again. But can you That's find a rare. can of yeah. this, obfuscate it, and <laughs> ship it down to these guys, and they can tell us if we're right that it's like this is exactly do the, car- a do the carbon dating. Send IPA. this to Ron Pattinson, and Ron is <laughs> this like, is oh yeah, precisely yes. nineteen ninety seven to nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm gonna go a little bit later than that. This is gonna be like circa, yeah, maybe ninety nine to oh one. I was saying aughts, like that, yeah. But yeah. I was saying aughts while I was um, But I, I'm, I'm gonna open this because I want to. Do, do you want to write your yeah, sentence or did you? I, I wrote my sentence. I'm Justin, literally learning how to. Teach. Justin, you lovely, lovely man. Holy what shit! Is it? <laughs> Holy what is shit! It? It's New England Brewing Companies. So remember, New England Brewing Company out of Not Connecticut. At all. Yeah, uh, this is oh, the Sea yeah. Hag. This is Sea Hag IPA, six point two percent. Wow, it feels ABP. much warmer than that. Good, that's Sea Hag. Uh, so the can copy, um, 
God, I forget. But what is Seahag? The two of you are talking about it like I should know it. Seahag IPA is one of the first craft brewed American India pale ales to be packaged in cans. Handmade with three malts and a generous amount of hops through the brewing process lends to a crisp finish and a big floral aroma. Drink that's it. It's got to be late it's 2000s. Good. Uh, no, I mean, see how it goes I mean, back. intro. Yeah, that's that's going back a ways. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, Why don't see. I know it at all? Did that was already an old hat when I uh, broke into New this England Brewing Company around has been around since, God, I'm just trying to pull it up right now. Let's see. Uh, about us. Where the fuck oh, wait, is the John, John, seriously, hold yeah. on. Take a breath. Was this ever available in New Jersey? Why don't I know it Oh, at yeah, all? probably. They were one of the very first larger new england or as the name would suggest new england craft 2001 yeah. yeah um right. and they they had a success with a couple of different beers seahag being one of them but it was one of those things that you could get in jersey for a while and then when everybody started opening up i think it, it pulled back a little bit but smart up through Anchor tried that it didn't work <laughs> connecticut rhode island uh into massachusetts this was yeah. This was all pretty, pretty, pretty good. So, so I guess, I guess when I compared it to ninety, it's because ninety owned New Jersey at the time, and you wouldn't really need this, would you? Uh, probably not. No. Yeah, Rob Leonard was the was the brewer, the founder. He was one of those guys who like made the rounds uh, back in the day, and he was always kind of fun to drink and hang out with. But I haven't thought about this brewery in ten years, maybe. Cool. So cool. the fact that it's still around and uh, and good for them for making a very like authentic throwback here. The bottom five, twelve, twenty-three. So May, that's either goodbye or or the yeah. or the can the can date. Either one. Yeah, could be either could go either way. Who knows, Julian? All right, so let's get back to Aaron. Now we got to tie it up because we've been bullshitting too long. Yes, but um. So, Aaron, one of the things I love most about you, um, both your Facebook personality, your representation, and and what I know of you is you are super optimistic and super positive. You've already said very positive things like, you know, if you can find your way, there's there's much more potential for a crafted beer than for crafted wine. You just have to learn how to be, you know, the wine that isn't two buck chuck because that's well represented in beer where it wasn't really in wine. Uh, what are you most optimistic about in this current state of, of, you know, where we're going? Cause you know, what, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen as the, cause I mean, I know, I think net we still have more breweries a day than we lose, but we're losing a lot more than we're used to seeing. Right. I think nine guys have gone out of business in New Jersey since our governor failed to sign the bill, our, our, our government did for us. So, I mean, he's clearly killing craft breweries at an average of one every three weeks. Um, <laughs> I, I do which, like the attribution of personal responsibility there. Well, they they um. <laughs> literally wrote a bill to save us and pass it July 1st. And here it is August 26th and three more out of business. So there's, there's only one place to put it, but I mean, I don't know if you know this, but 100% of our government, both sides of the aisle, across the board, Senate and legislature, Congress, whatever, they all all passed it. All this will help. This will save this business. And the governor vetoed it. So it's on him. It's not on anybody else. 
Oh, I've actually anyway, been following that story pretty closely. I think yeah. I even hit you up about that uh, when that bill was first being drafted, just to, yeah. to keep a close eye on it. And, you know, regulatory challenges are always going to be a thing. Um, you know, if you look at the top 10 list of donors to state legislative bodies, I think it's something like every single state. Uh, the wholesaler lobbies are one of the top 10 uh, contributors to state legislatures. Yep. Uh, restaurants tend to be very skeptical of tap rooms because they've seen what's happened in other states. That's one where I can't necessarily blame them, even if I think it's, uh, you know, not consumer protection, it's protecting themselves. Um, it, it, it's shitty. Uh, there's, there's no two ways around that. And, you know, honestly, I'd much rather see the market play that one out and give brewery tap rooms a fair shake like they've gotten in a lot of states than see it continue to, to hold back right. a scene that I think could bear a whole lot more. But what what are you most optimistic about? Where do where do you see the pathways? Do you see these little guys who ran to shelves three years ago finally <laughs> buying back their dead beer? Do we do we find ways know. to fix that that eco culture? What what's going on out there that you you're positive about? So so on, honestly, I I am very positive about the industry as a whole, and I and I know that tends to lead some people to think I'm putting on the rose colored glasses or, or oh, sticking fingers in Sounds like you're sampling some of Tilray's product, yeah. Uh, exactly, <laughs> and I I wind up getting that a lot, and you know I had I had a fantastic conversation with Kelly Meyer, who tends to take kind of the opposite tact uh, recently on a podcast, but here here's here's where I'm at. So bear with me for a second, but well, you know the industry was always going to have to mature and that's been largely what in you know in my opinion and frankly a lot of the opinions of people who are doing the investing in this industry uh, that's what we're seeing more than anything right now we're seeing a realization that we were an industry founded by and built by very passionate people who didn't get in this with not only with the desire to to focus on this as a business first but really with the skill set or the uh, tools they needed to treat this as a business first. There was always going to be shakeout. There was always going to be a maturation period. And that's not just inevitable. It's, it's, it's healthy in the long term. So I really do think that it's going to feel apocalyptic for two, three years. And then we're going to get back not only to a level of growth, but frankly, I think the best times for this industry from a profitability standpoint and employee uh, uh, um, uh, welfare standpoint, a, uh, you know, uh, product standpoint is all ahead of us. Uh, it's just going to take a whole lot of growing pains to get there because we had an unsustainable thing for a long time. And as it continued to grow, the fact that we are continuing to discover new consumers and go from early adopters into the mainstream hid the fact that a lot of those core economics weren't working anyhow. Uh, so for me, I, I think there's still a lot of ground to cover, even in the demos we've already covered. Moreover, you know, we're an industry that, you know, anybody who's ever seen my picture, I am a straight white dude uh, with chunky glasses, a beard, and tattoos. I am the most stereotypical craft beer consumer on earth. Uh, but anybody who says that we're at either the saturation point or that this industry has no place left to go or no stories left to tell, to, to harken back to Jeff Allworth taking a look at that question recently, I think is completely missing the point that we have only began to scratch the surface even on the customers that are out there. Yeah, so for me, I think there's an enormous... Yeah, fuck Allworth. Did we say that on this show? Fuck yes, you, Jeff. I love there you, buddy. Go on. <laughs> uh, I, I love you and respect you. Uh, the opinion of uh, uh, Steel Despair no, does not reflect no. the opinion of Aaron Gore. Uh, it does, actually. <laughs> but for me, you, you I forgot what you, you signed when Kennedy said it to you. Now we speak for you. 
Anyway, go That's on. what that said. I knew I should have read it. I just treated it like it. Apple terms and conditions. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, go on. But for me, you know, there's still a ton of customers out there that we haven't even approached. There's still a ton of people who can contribute to the story of craft beer who haven't felt welcome or felt like they've had the ability to contribute to the story of this industry. And even from a purely business orientation, uh, we're shaking out a lot of the operators. We're shaking out a lot of the companies that as much as I love them, as much as many of them are my friends, uh, they were never sustainable from day one. And any sort of slowdown in the total category growth of the industry was going to wind up shaking them out eventually anyhow. So if we're able to get solutions, whether that's what I'm doing with Bavana Partners or what Octopi is doing or what 12% is doing or what 100 different people who are going to come to the table trying to find solutions and paths forward for small firms, uh, I really do see a very positive future for beer. It's just going to be a really awkward puberty period in the interim where everything feels like it's the end of the world. What's important to me is that we as an industry don't become doomers about it and don't start thinking it is the end of the world because that's where we could start seeing this turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that is something I've seen spike dramatically in the last two years, especially has been people really within the industry turning on craft beer and saying that it's not only not worth investing in emotionally, it's got no value to present. And I don't think any of us would feel so passionately even about the things that we're doing wrong as an industry, if that were true. Yeah. A hundred. And so, so it's funny, like, I hate to, everything you said for me registers in the thing I'm, I'm always trying to reconcile for myself as like the first thing you said is, you know, there I've always been the artist and I've always needed a producer and Curtin will never make a dollar and will always be bankrupt because I run the company and I don't care about money. I make beers like canoe to make John Hall happy. And that is no way to profitability, but there's the, there's the whole, you know, yeah, but I was very happy. No, and that's all that I care about, John. You, making you happy is why Carton Brewing exists. Um, but I, I guess what I'm saying is when I hear you saying that, that's very true. And the truth is someday I'll find the producer to my director that says, no, but here's how, you know, here's your here's your Barbie Greta Gerwig. Go make that. Um, but I, I I love what you're saying. And for me, it's always like, why do we have to hate or love juicy, hazy IPAs? Why can't we appreciate them for the part of life they are that makes us fall back in love with prettiness in beer and then go back to the beer that's good for fueling conversation about politics and sports at a different time? Why, do, why have we let ourselves become, no, this is, this is the beer rock I die on? And I think that's that's a more mature market like you're talking about, like like not to stretch a metaphor that's thin already, but <laughs> you, you can love wine. You don't have to just love Chardonnay. And at this phase of beer making and beer appreciation, you are either a crispy boy or a pastry boy or a hazy boy. <laughs> and I'm looking for like when people ask me, I'm like, why can't we just light more fires, sit around them in the dark? and drink beers you know what i mean why does it have to be well i'm this kind of beer guy and i'm this kind of beer guy and i'm this kind of beer girl and i like i feel like you really nailed a big picture of you know there's more stories out there let's go find them and let's stop these fiefdoms of 
anybody that uses untapped is the best or worst. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, beer is a really big tent. It's the most versatile beverage on the planet and people can, even a single person can appreciate it in multiple ways for, for multiple use occasions, for multiple uh, things it does and provides for them. Uh, you know, I don't care what kind of beer it is at the end of the day, you know, the best beer is the one that you're having with people you care about, but uh, how can we take this incredibly versatile beverage uh, and reduce it down to just haze or just traditional waters right. or just amber ales if you were born in, I don't know, 1952? Um, you know, it's <laughs> important to be able to let beer be what it is for more people because I really do think that our industry and the culture that surrounds it, because, you know, uniquely among a lot of you know, industries, you know, we have a really strong culture around craft beer. It's better for having more voices in it, but it's also better for just having people who enjoy the, from those different angles and those different aspects. And and that's a wonderful thing, not a bad thing. I love it. All right. I think we end there because we're way over time. And I think so that's the right sentiment for us. Um, mm-hmm. Hall, I think you have to play the role of Cass and tell them how to give us money. Uh, you should, first of all, email us letters at steal this beer podcast at gmail.com and then after you've done that please go to patreon.com slash steal this beer where you can give us a few bucks and that allows us to have excellent guests like aaron on where Although we can then we're down send we him ship one beer well you know, that's, uh, <laughs> if they had contributed more money we could have yeah. gotten two. patreon us uh, more cash um aaron i'm looking at you you should become a patreon so that future guests don't suffer in the way that you had to. That's a good point. I'm doing John. it for the people. I'm doing it for the people. Perfect. Thank right, you. If, we if, we appreciate your support. So, so Aaron, what I will tell you is a lot of our listener base. By the way, John, did you did you see that new news that we are the number two food podcast in Iceland? No. Yeah, that's that's the case. We are the number two food podcast in Iceland. Behind so who? Put, put that. I don't know. They just sent me the number that we were Reykjavik to, today. Right? That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but so there All you right. go, buddy. That's hey, thanks, Iceland. I was just but, about um, to tell folks. What I was going to say is yeah. a lot of our listeners who aren't Icelandic foodies yeah. are <laughs> actually people working in tiny breweries. So if they want to reach out to you, Aaron, if everything you've said connects with them, like, I mean, it rings so profound to me. I imagine a lot of small breweries out there like, but that's what I need. How do they reach you and have you shut them down for being miserable failures? I would never do that. I'd shut them down for being happy failures. Uh, but <laughs> no, if anyone wants to reach out for me, even just to say hi, I've never turned down being able to meet awesome folks from around the industry. Uh, they can hit me up at a.gore. That's a.gore at bevana, B-E-V-A-N-A.com. You can also find us on pretty much every social platform at Bevana Partners, or you can find me personally at Ale Chaser, A-L-E-C-H-A-S-E-R. Right on, man. Well, well packaged. Wow. All right, y'all. Get at us.